When you go to a strange place where you've never been before, maybe a few days' journey, then all of a sudden in a strange place, in a crowd of people, you see a familiar face. That does something to you. It makes a difference. All of a sudden you see a familiar face and you feel refreshed, maybe a good friend. And it's a delightful feeling that lifts your day. For those of us in this room who have uh, made a confession of faith at some point in our lives, who've been walking with Jesus for years, the walk can be overwhelming. It can be daunting because there's this ongoing struggle. I remember many years ago telling my father about this. I said to him, I said, it's always like you go in a harness. There's a nice phrase in low German. And, and as we're talking about this as a family, and I, I, I always struggle with words in my, in my life, in my language, to express myself. I don't have this vast um, pile or storage of words to draw from to express myself. And, and, and it's, it's helpful if we talk with each other so we borrow from each other. And my father said this. He said it in Plotich, and I'll say it in Plotich, and then I'll try to translate that. He said, And those of you who understand Plotich, you know what I just said. And what it simply means, a horse in the harness always pulling is hard. Doesn't that feel that way sometimes as a man or a woman trying to live for Jesus? You know what I'm talking about? Facing challenge after challenge after challenge. There's no end to it. You get up in the morning and the first thing you have a challenge in front of you. Constant pressure. Constant pull. It never stops. It never ends. What do you do? Give up? Throw in the towel? I'm done with it? Well, that's worse. Now you're succumbing. It takes something which we in and of ourselves do not have to survive this. Incidentally, this sermon series we're starting today, it's three sermons, by the way. I'm preaching this morning, and next Sunday, uh, Joe is scheduled, and then the following Sunday, I'll finish this series. Jesus identifying with us, and then how he lived life in the desert of life, and how, he, how that affected him as a man. But I wanted this morning talk to us, share with us, what did Jesus do? To show us how to live it, how to do this. And as I said, incidentally, uh, we're also going to the Christian life class. I hadn't planned it that way, just kind of coincides. And so for the last three Saturdays in our Christian life class, we've been talking about this whole concept of discipline. Jesus could not have survived the desert had he not been disciplined. As a human being, he was the most disciplined man who ever lived. going against the grain, doing what he knew was right, what would please the Father. He submitted himself, he surrendered himself to a life that any one of us would balk at, push back. I don't deserve this. It's not not my job. Let them face the consequences of their evil actions. I'm not doing this. He could have rightly used an excuse like that. It goes without question when life gets difficult, 
We're not sure what to do. It is always good to have someone to use as a reference point. What did he do? How did you do it? Sometimes people call, you know, like, life is hard, but okay, how do I do this? Like, it's always good to have someone who's walked this path ahead of you, who you know how they did it. Always good to have somebody experienced ahead of you, who's been there, done that, been through it, and so on. How would you respond to life if you knew you could not fail? If you knew this plane won't crash, this ship won't sink, this car will stay on the road, this train will arrive safely. How would you live life if you knew you could not fail and you would not fail? Wouldn't that make it easy? Well, not easy, but at least you could sit back and finally relax. Finally breathe easy. Okay, we're going to make it. Jesus never once doubted his mission. He never once wavered, will I succeed or won't I? He never once wondered, will this thing work, this plan of redemption? Will I survive it? Well, no, he wouldn't survive it. He was going to get killed for it. He knew that. But he also knew he would not stay in the grave. He also knew he was going to come out alive out of the grave. He knew that. That's the beauty of it. He never once doubted the outcome of the mission. Do you and I doubt the outcome of our mission? And so many, especially people of my race, my background, my history, us low German Mennonites, we struggle with this. Will it work? That's what we say. Will it be enough? We wonder, question, worry, fear. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not how we should live. Does, it make, does that make the road easy? No, it doesn't. It makes it very painful because you're going to suffer unjustly. You're going to be ridiculed, marginalized, abused, criticized, persecuted, maybe even killed. This Saturday night, we're going to see some enactment of what that looks like. It's happening every day, and there are people who are going through it. Every week, we hear stories of more and more, and it continues on. But they're not in doubt of the mission. They're not in doubt of what's going to happen to them after they die. Sometimes in life when you want to achieve something, you want to attain something, you want to accomplish something, then you have a whole bunch of prerequisites. You have to have this to get that, and that to get this, and it's one hoop and one step after another after another, and you wonder, will I pass? Will I, will I fail? Well, one of the things that all of us want We want to be right with God when we finish the journey. We don't want to fail. But I want to assure us this morning, that task has been done. It has been finished. It has been completed. We don't have to worry about that part. All we have to do is go for the ride. Hang on. Go for the journey. I try to come up with illustrations, analogies, uh, comparisons. What can I compare this to? I, I thought of one. Maybe it, it's not perfect. The comparisons always break down, but let me just try this one. For instance, let's say you want to become 
a citizen of a specific country, let's say you, want, you live in Mexico or Bolivia or Paraguay, wherever, and you just don't have a good life. It's very hard, it's difficult, and you just, just can't make it work. But you have relatives living in Canada, and some of you know what I'm talking about, and they have a better life. They have a good job, they have health care, they have a pension that they're saving up for retirement, and you would so desperately want to get that too, but you just don't have the documents, you can't do it. But then someone comes to visit you in your country where you're born and they come and live for you your life and they swap places, so to speak. And in essence, they give you their documentation. You now become them. That changes things, doesn't it? Now you're free to come this way. Now you are Canadian citizen by virtue of this government leader or government person who who has authorized you to come in. I mean, it's a very faint and a very shallow um, illustration, but you couldn't do it on your own. Somebody had to come there where you are, in your situation, in your circumstances, and do for you what you could never do yourself. The Bible does tell us, in this world, in this life, here and now, we're not citizens of this world any longer if Jesus is our Savior. Then we're citizens of heaven. We're called to live as such. You see, when Jesus came to this world... He did not come for the reason that many people think he did or would wish he did. Jesus came for a very big reason. He came to bring us into that place where we would become citizens of heaven before we get to the heavenlies after after we die. Somebody had asked... And somebody asked another person once, two speakers were talking, so what's the purpose of Jesus coming? It's not to get to heaven after we die, he, the other responded. No, it's to, to heaven before we die. In essence, we become heavenly citizens before we die. The heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of heaven begins here and now. Oh yes, Jesus did a lot of good things. He healed the sick, and he, he healed the, wo- the wounded, he preached the gospel. He did all those things, which were very good things. It was great, it was good that he did that. That was good stuff. But there was a very basic primary reason why he came, and that was to save us from the condemnation of God's judgment on sin, to redeem us, to save us, so we could go to heaven, so we can live for him here and now and enjoy eternity with him. And today we want to see how did he identify with humanity. You know we have the Christmas story, it's a great story, the little baby Jesus in the manger, the story of Bethlehem, it's a great story. But there's something else he did that should cause us to pause and take note. You see, when Jesus was a was in our environment, he subjected himself to our earthly problems. Not just did he become a human with flesh and blood and, and have to have food and rest and shelter like we do. When Jesus entered our, our, domain, our world, he entered our spiritual domain. I want us to get this. He didn't live in Jerusalem in some nice palace when the time came to die. Okay, now he's going to die for us. No, he subjected put himself under the same temptations, the same problems, the same predicaments that you and I go through. Why in the world would anybody want to do that? Why would anybody even care? Bring us up to his level. Yeah, maybe that, 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 that we could see, but not him coming down to our level. Get somebody out of poverty, that's okay, but not go enter poverty. That's a different story. So, maybe I'm a rich guy, maybe I'm a multimillionaire, I have new cars, new house, new vehicles, I have a nice, nice bank account. Okay, I'm going to give somebody something, you can come to where I am now. But to sacrifice that become what he is, oh, that's another story. That's what he did. 
So he went to a place where he was tempted, oppressed, and, and subjected to the difficulties of life. Let me put it this way. Imagine this. Let's say he had said, okay, guys, I'll come to earth as a human, a perfect human, of course. I'll teach you, demonstrate how to live for God. You need to love one another and all that good stuff. I'll teach you how to live moral lives, spiritual lives. I'll teach you all that. But don't expect me to get messed up with what you guys are doing. I'm not touching it. That's your, that's your job. I'm not going to get involved. That sounds pretty reasonable, huh? No, he didn't do that. He lowered himself all the way down to our lives in our spiritual state. So let's read. Beginning in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, the first verse, the, verse, the first verse to look at says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. If we read a bit earlier in the chapter, we find John the Baptist was busy baptizing people, ordinary folk, in the, in the Jordan River. Why was he doing that? It had been prophesied in the Old Testament that, a, that somebody would come to prepare the way for the Messiah. And when John the Baptist came, he did just that. He preached the message of repentance to God's people. And we, can talk about, we could talk about that, but that's a different sermon. But he preached God's good message of repentance to the people, and they came for baptism. And he was busy baptizing people in the Jordan River with a baptism of repentance. The problem that John faced, we can read that in the earlier part of chapter 3 if you like, was that people did not all come for the right motive, the right reason. Some of the religious guys came from the Jerusalem, the pastors and the priests, whoever they were. And John sees them coming and he's, 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 um, he's not happy. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, you hypocrites? He saw right through their intentions. He knew that they were false. And they did not believe in John. Who likes to be told they're a sinner? Who likes to be told you need to repent? We don't. Anyway, and so he calls them hypocrites. But here, the ordinary people, they respond to John's message of the of repentance, and they want to be baptized. Baptism simply signified, it was a symbol that they would, as a ritual they would undergo, meaning stating publicly, publicly declaring, look, I'm tired of my old way of life. I'm starting a new way of life. I'm tired of my old stuff. I'm getting cleansed. I'm going to, get, I'm going to live, for, live for God now. They came in response to his preaching. They were convicted of sins and wanted to be baptized. Baptism did not actually cleanse anybody, actually erase any sin, but it was a public symbol of surrender to God. That's why they did it. But here comes Jesus. And it says to be baptized. Why? Why would Jesus want to be baptized? What's he repenting of? What's he confessing? Nothing. This is a little bit of a prelude or a, a picture of what's up and coming. He's getting in the same boat as people are in. The same human condition as people are in. He's joining them, becoming part of them. Without sin, of course, but he's getting in the same sinking, rickety raft of life that they're all in. Why would he do that? What significance would there be in that? And this is where it gets interesting. See, here's John the Baptist. He's seeing this. Jesus comes to him wants to get baptized. He didn't have a problem with Pharisees repenting. It would have been great if they'd repented, but they didn't. And the average ordinary folk coming from Jerusalem, the ordinary people, the blue-collar people who perhaps, and they all come and they want to get baptized. But here's Jesus asking for baptism. 
What message would that send if Jesus did that? I mean, oh, oh, Jesus, you're getting baptized, so what are you repenting of? Oh, so you've not been perfect either, have you? He is starting to wear their environment. He's starting to take on their circumstances. He's starting to own what they're in. That was a huge deal for Jesus to do that. He identified with us. He's asking for baptism. Nobody was pressuring him. Well, God had told him, but he did it willingly. This is a much bigger topic than we can possibly cover in one small sermon. But there are a few key points we need to cover. Jesus did this to join up with us in our circumstances, in our environment, in our problems. I know all illustrations break down at some point, and there's no perfect ones, but let me just get back to the citizenship story. Perhaps you're living in a far country, you want to leave, and you can't except if someone comes and helps you. Let's say you literally had to swap places. Somebody says, you know what, I'll take you. Let's trade documentation. I'll become your, your, what you are, and you become what I am. Well, that would take some. But it does say in the Bible, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become Jesus literally took on human flesh and blood to identify with us, but then he went further. He took on himself our circumstances. He had to be made like us so that we could be made like him. He did that when he took our sin and took our sin on himself. It says in the next verse, verse 14, when Jesus wants to get baptized, it says in the next verse here, but John tried to talk him out of it. I would too. I mean... If I had been John the Baptist, I would have done the same thing. He's, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. You're coming to me. It's an aha moment for John. He hasn't expected this. He was the forerunner. He knew about Jesus. So why did John try to talk Jesus out of it? I think John had a very limited understanding of God's plan. He had some understanding, but a limited one. John knew Jesus was the Lamb of the world. Lamb, God's Lamb take away the sins of the world. But he didn't fully know how this was going to how this is going to happen, and that this would be part of it, John hadn't expected that. He didn't see the full picture of what this would be like. And there's other passages, which we don't have time to go into this morning, but tell us how limited John really was. But it's evident John has a good heart, but he has limited understanding. John saw himself as a sinner who needed to repent. He was baptizing people, but he says, no, you need to baptize me. He saw Jesus as perfect. He was right about that. But what he didn't know was how deeply Jesus would identify with fallen humanity to bring people back into God's presence. You see, it's not just that Jesus raised us up with him. He first came down to us. In fact, Peter talks when Jesus died, he went and visited hell. What that all means, I won't go into this morning. But there's no no area of life in this world that Jesus did not come to experience with us. I think the Apostle Paul had a very good grasp of this. And of course, he came later. He came after the baptism, of, after the death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus when the church had already started for quite some time. Paul, is, Paul becomes a Christian and he looks back on all of this story and he understood um, quite a bit of this. And He was a brilliant man, gifted by God to understand and explain the mysteries of God's kingdom and to humanity. In one of his letters to the Philippians, Paul writes the following words. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. 
It says this, you must have, by the way, Paul's writing this from prison, and he's been, he's been, uh, he's a veteran by now, is you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No human step on earth was too menial too degrading, too humble for him to lower himself to. Baptism was the beginning of that journey. Well, no, actually coming to earth was the beginning of that journey, but when he got baptized, he went down another notch. As I mentioned before, Jesus had, had a body, literal human flesh and blood body like you and I do. This is a mystery in some ways. We'll never fully understand this, but the truth remains that as God, he also became man. And one of the things that he did was receive baptism like an ordinary human being who needs to repent. And he identified with us. This is huge. Bible scholars mention this, and I agree, that in order for Jesus to bring us out of our life of sin, he had to walk our road. He had to be where we are. He had to experience what we experience. He had to be exposed to what we are exposed to. And in short, again, he had to identify with us. I think it's sometimes funny when you study and learn how people get trained. I had the privilege of being a police chaplain some years ago for five years, and you get to talk to some police officers, and one of the things that young recruits are subjected to is to the taser. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been tasered, but they say it hurts bad. And people fall down when they get tasered. Anyway, they say that that's one. I don't know if it's a must, but that's one of the one of the the, um, the conditions or one of the things they want the young recruit to go through: get tasered and just somehow, so don't, maybe not pull that thing too easy, but experience the pain that others go through who get tasered, even though they deserve it. But didn't we deserve punishment? Didn't we deserve what we get? And Jesus says, "You know what? I'm going to join you." I'm going, to, I'm going to join you in the consequences of what you face. He's going to take the judgment, but the consequences of our sin are not erased. And that's hardship and the world's a sinful place. Consequence of sin. And Jesus came and joined us in it. But what he did do later on, just to make a note of it here, he took my place on the cross, which I could not take. He went farther than he asks me to go. And so when he got baptized, he set a plan in motion that God had ordained and designed for him. Our human minds just cannot fathom that. But Jesus has a response for John when John pushes back on him. He says, verse 15, let's go to the next verse here in the Gospel of Matthew. But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. John surrendered and submitted to Jesus. God did not spare Jesus from the harshness and the cruelty of sin. We'll hear more about that next Sunday and the Sunday after. Again, let me refer to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 
This is what I referred to earlier. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through sin. Some translations say God made him who knew no sin to be our, to be sin for us. He had to take our place. While it's true that Jesus never sinned, he got treatment as if he did. He put in the same category as you and me. In order for him to fulfill the role God called him to, to make you and me right with God. So we need to ask ourselves, what's it worth to us? Up to the point that Jesus came and got baptized, we didn't have much information about him, what his life was like, except the story when he was a 12-year-old boy, his mom and dad went to Jerusalem to the temple, Nazareth, Nazareth to Jerusalem, it's quite a journey, several days journey, and so they do their thing there, the worship and everything, they want to go home, and there's this crowd of people, they're all on the, on the road walking, and they find out all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, where's Jesus? This kid's gone. And I think he was just an average ordinary kid in the sense that he loved life. I would like to ask him one day, what was it like to be a 12-year-old boy? I think he had friends. I think he loved doing what boys love doing. But the funny thing was, they couldn't find him, and so they go back to Jerusalem. Where's the kid? Where's the boy? And I saw a cartoon once, and Mary's scolding Joseph. You lost our boy? I wonder what the discussion was between the two of them. But whatever it was, we don't know. But here's Jesus. They find him in the temple talking to the pastors, to the priests, and to the, to the guys, the script teachers of the law. And he's chatting away with them. He's been there for a few days talking every day. He's right in his element. That's what he was about. He said, didn't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? He recognized then already, as a boy, what God had called him to do. We see the humility in Christ. We see the surrender. So John baptized Jesus, but that's not the end of it. Let's go to verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. God had ordained this event to happen. In his sovereignty, he planned it all out. God loved us so much that he was willing to go all the way, not 99%, but 100% of the way, to bring humanity back. And so he sent Jesus' Son to walk this path, to open the gate, to make us citizens of heaven by living as a citizen on earth. And Jesus did that, and it says God was pleased with who Jesus was. Here's another thing that's interesting. Jesus hadn't even done any ministry yet. God's already pleased. You see, we get this wrong sometimes. God will be happy once I and when I and after I. I finish this, accomplish this, I do this, then make God happy. You can't do that. When you're a child of God, covered by the blood of Christ, forgiven for your sins, God looks at you that way too. Then you bring God great pleasure, great joy. Unless you're living in rebellion away from God, outside of a relationship with Him, then that's not true. We bring God joy when we're in relationship with Him. Jesus was that. That was the, that was the context. Let me ask you this. Those of you who have little ones, how much good does a newborn baby have to accomplish before you love that little kid? Before you start doting on it and loving it? Nothing. That little one, you just love that little one no matter what that little one has done or not done. Makes you t- a pile of work, but you don't care. You just love the little one. That's enough to be your child. That's all that matters, all it takes. And you think about this. When Jesus identified with humanity, became one of us, see, but he was still a son of God. Jesus talked to him here as he talked to a man. This is my beloved son. 
He brings me great joy. Do you think God is less pleased with us when we're covered with his, with the blood of Christ, we're in a relationship with him, no less pleased with us? Jesus, God said, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. I want to suggest it's real. Anyone who surrenders their life to Christ becomes surrendered to him, allows the blood of Christ to cleanse him from their sin and to live in repentance and humility and surrender has that same standing. There's no difference there. That is why Jesus came to identify with us. That's why he wanted to show us this is what it takes. This is what it's like to be in relationship with the Father, to be one with him. Started there at baptism. Maybe the question we can ask, so what about today? Are you part of this? Have you repented of your sin? Are you walking with God? Then you are a part of this family. Jesus identified with humanity so you could become a citizen of heaven. He came here to make us fit over there. We fit here already, but to bring us there. Jesus identified with us to show us the love of God. And for all who surrender their lives to him and respond to the call, he has the same message. Let me just post it one more time. This is my dearly loved son. And you know what he could say for our daughter? My dearly beloved child, can you picture yourself God being delighted in you? having great joy because you are his daughter or son. And you see, this is where it parts ways between a legalist and a true disciple of Christ. The legalist wants to earn God's favor, earn God's grace, earn God's happiness, uh, God's pleasure. Can't do that. Just surrender. Oh yes, you'll fall through, you'll fail, but you come back in surrender. You come back in repentance. And again, Jesus hadn't done anything yet as far as the Father's mission was concerned. He would got baptized, but that was it. When you come into relationship with God, when you experience grace and forgiveness, you are one of His. It doesn't get better than that. Oh yes, there's the journey still. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be hurt. It's going to hurt. There's going to be persecution. But you know the outcome. You don't have to wonder and doubt and fear. How will it end? You know how it's going to end. With you in heaven with him. That's how it's going to end. That's why the martyrs of our time today can so courageously die. Just a few weeks ago. I got an email last week. I think it's a few weeks ago. In a church in one of these countries. Militants came into the churchyard. People had to come outside. And they, these militants were very aggressive and told the, the pastor and a few of the ministerial there they had to renounce their faith. And they said, no, we're not renouncing our faith in Jesus. They took them out one by one behind the church building and shot them, each one. This goes on today. They knew this. They lived this. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're one of them. Then I just want to bless you, encourage you. Keep on going. Do not allow the devil to discourage you and accuse you of all your failures and faults. Oh, yes, you have lots of failures and faults, but they're paid for on the cross. The devil's a defeated enemy who's got no jurisdiction. God will rescue you. If the devil reminds you how bad of a Christian you are, just remind him of his destiny.
always go to the cross. Always go to the cross. Because that's what Jesus tells us to take up. I'm not meaning a physical cross, but go to the cross. Humility and repentance, and allow Jesus to do the cleansing. He will come and take your place. Jesus knows what it's like for you to be you. He's walked that path. He's walked your shoes. And later on in Matthew, one point in time in Matthew chapter 11, let's read that. In Matthew chapter 11, he has some words of comfort for people. I just want to read this. He says this. Then Jesus said, Come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden I give you is light. Why would he say... Suffering is easy. My yoke is easy. My burdens to bear. Well, the destiny is secure. The mission is already accomplished in heaven. We just have to travel it here on earth. He's been there. He's been through it. He has your experience. You can trust him. But I'd like to take this one step further. He identified with us. That's great. But then he says in the Gospel of John, I don't have the verses, he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Who is there who we may need to go and be a friend to? We can't walk their life. No, we're not Jesus. Of course we're not. But we can identify in a certain way. We can come alongside the hurting, the struggling, the addicted, the defeated. We can do that. And we can walk with them because Jesus walked with us. And they will see Jesus through us. May God give us grace to recognize what Jesus has done for us. He identified with us so we can become part with him. But it was not over. The testing would yet come. Next Sunday we'll listen for it. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for your mercy and grace to us. We didn't deserve anything from you, but you gave us everything. Today we're grateful that you identified with us. You came to this earth as a baby, grew up as a man, and identified with us in our hardships, our circumstances, and you saved us when you died on the cross. We thank you for it. Lord, help us today to take this to heart and cherish and value and treasure what you've done for us. You identified with us. We don't have to walk in fear and hopelessness. We can walk in faith and confidence. You are Lord. You are King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.